0: Welcome back to episode number, wait a minute, you don't get to see that yet. Hang on. (laughs) My bad. Welcome back to episode 64 of Generation Red, and it's going to be a fun one. We are the Kettle Corn of Husker Fan Podcast, where we try to be sweet, but at times we do get a bit of salty. It's not much to be salty about tonight, folks, because we won. I'm -hmm. Ken. (laughs) And I am Scott. Go Big Red. Go Big Red. It is so sweet to talk about a win, especially a win over our rival. And there's also a trifecta of good news involved. In fact, you know, number one, of course, Nebraska beat Iowa 24-17 in Iowa City on Friday. Nebraska, number two, announced Matt Rule as its new head coach on Saturday during game day. And by the time all the games were over, everybody knew Nebraska had made their hire. Talk about hijacking the college football news cycle. Well done, Trev. Very well done. (laughs) And here we are. Number three, celebrating both on a Sunday evening. You know what? There's three more things I can talk about that are pretty awesome. Number one, it feels really good to beat that sucky corn growing state to the east of us at their own game. Namely, capitalizing on three turnovers and turning them into 17 points. Number two, it feels really good to prevent Iowa from going to the conference championship game in Indianapolis. And number three, it really, really feels good to bring that Heroes Trophy home to Lincoln, where it belongs. After seven long years of god-awful performances in the Riley era and one-score losses during the era in which will not be named, we will get to talk about a win over, I guess, their rival. How fitting, because I feel so damn good when we beat them. That makes them a rival. How fitting mm-hmm. is it that Nebraska won the game by one score? On a turnover late in the fourth quarter, no less. Sounds kind of familiar and usually wasn't on the good side for us with as familiar as that is. You know, I'd say it's the perfect way to end a seven uh, game losing streak and seven really crappy years of pain. Let them hate themselves for a whole offseason. Meanwhile, we get to anticipate the start of the Matt Rule era. We will give our overall impressions of the game tonight, cover the stats, give out our final Game Breaker and Game Wrecker of the Week awards, and rate the offense, defense, and special teams. After that, we've got a really cool segment. No, I'm sorry, we're not going to talk about Matt Rule. We will do that next Sunday at 4.30 p.m. Central Standard Time with a bunch of friends of ours from different Husker fan podcasts where we'll break down anything and everything Matt Rule for you. But this second segment tonight, we're going to talk about the impact That Bill Bush has made on this team as the Huskers defensive coordinator, sticking over after the Oklahoma game. We're going to look and compare and contrast all the stats from four years and four games under Eric Schnander to what Coach Bush accomplished in just eight short games in a conference known for extremely elite coaching. It should make for a compelling case to keep him on Coach Rule's new staff for 2023 and beyond. We hope he does. And if not at defensive coordinator, at least let him coach somewhere on the defense and coordinate special teams because, man, they have definitely made a jump. And I thought the safeties have played really, really well since Bush has primarily been coaching them as well, besides coordinating the defense. In my opinion, keeping him is as important as retaining Mickey for the purposes of both recruiting and keeping some staff continuity in all three phases of the game. If you're wondering about our specific thoughts on Nebraska's new head coach, as I said earlier, next week, 4.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, we will live stream with some buddies from other Husker fan podcasts. So make sure you're subscribed to Generation Red in your favorite podcast app or go to genredpod.com to find the link to our YouTube channel. So... Let's talk about Iowa. I know you've got some interesting thoughts you'd like to share, Scott. So go right on ahead and start off with our overall impressions of the game. All right. Once again, go Big Red. I'm really
1: excited about this win. Um, I I said it on Facebook to a friend of mine because he was really upset that I even picked Iowa to win this game. And for good reason. I mean, I, I went against my word. I I recognized that last week that I said when we started this podcast, I would never pick Iowa to win a game against us. doesn't matter how good or how bad we were. And I clearly either one forgot about it or two just didn't care. But I think it's just because I forgot about it because it was just such a painful season. Really? We lost a coach. Um, which wasn't really all that painful. It was more just painful that we lost the idea of what we thought we were going to get from a coach. Um, So there was that. And then, I mean, we just go on this losing streak and we come off of a, a heart wrenching defeat against Wisconsin. And when it's all said and done, I just couldn't stomach the idea of thinking we could win one more game. I really was just looking to the off season But my goodness, am I? Could I be? I couldn't be any happier about being wrong about a prediction. Um, I mean, shoot, I will gladly take an L on any take I make for any games that we ever play where I pick us to lose and I'm wrong. I will gladly take that. Um, But unfortunately, what that means is that. From the time that we joined the Big Ten, I have never once in my mind walked into an Iowa game with the mindset that we were going to lose until this game. So what does that mean? I don't know. Sure sounds like a jinx to me. Um, One of those kind of jinx where am I supposed to predict that we lose every year so that we can somehow, through all the weird laws of the universe, pull off another win? Um, I hope not, because yeah, I think I'm gonna recommit I'm gonna rededicate my life to serving the scarlet and cream against our rivalry against the chitty corn state. um <laughs> so yes, I'm resubmitting my life to that to that uh principle. Um, go big red. So my overall impressions of the game is that it was just refreshing to see our offense and defense explode for the first two thirds of the game, Uh, a little bit more from the defense at the end of the game, creating some crucial stops, which I'll get into those. But these are a few of the exciting moments I kind of wrote down that I just want to reminisce on because when we get a victory like we did against a team that has a history of snatching a victory from us, I mean, it's, it's just so Mm -hmm. much, it's just so worth reminiscing on. So we kick off the game with a, an 87-yard touchdown reception in our second. Well, we don't kick off the game, but our second series, Trey Palmer goes 87 yards for a touchdown after a missed field goal, unfortunately. And then we get Quentin Newsome's sack uh, that led a, led to a forced fumble, which also led to a, a field goal, putting us up ten to nothing. It, it, another thing that was really nice to see was Ramir Johnson. He didn't have much production when it came to the stats, but he had a few few good plays in there, and I just it's just a shame that we didn't get to see Ramirez Johnson as much as uh, as much as we have. Um, or, jeez, oh, I'm second guessing worded that. Um, it just was refreshing to see him. Iowa going on an almost seven minute series only to have uh, Ativa Mauga Clements cause another forced fumble that led to another Trey Palmer touchdown. Um, we get a huge third down sack by Caleb Tanner, which was just explosive. I mean, he just, I, I think that was the play where they they go over the replay and the right offensive, uh, right offensive tackle just did a full Nebraska. Full Nebraska. He's staring right at, at Caleb Tanner. And then he turns to the left and looks at a ghost. There's nobody there. And so Caleb just runs right past him and gets a huge, huge sack. Um, We have a failed series um, or we have a failed first series of the second half only to immediately force another turnover during that point. Um, That would lead us to the last. Oh, did I get something screwed up here? Yeah, I wondered what happened. So when I was writing my notes, here we go. What happened? When I was writing my notes, um, I was doing some editing and some typing and whatnot, and I accidentally hit some buttons and some things shifted around. And I felt like there was a few lines missing from uh from my second point that I made. And that makes perfect sense. Somehow it moved itself right smack dab in the middle of my first point. Um, so disregard that, uh, (laughs) so huge stack by Caleb Tanner. And then that would lead us to the, oh my gosh, what is all messed up? Wow. I'm, I, I royally screwed this up. My goodness. So my notes are all screwed up anyway. So let's see if I can still keep this in chronological order. Probably not. Um, Marcus Washington snags up a TD right at the goal line during the final. Oh, what in the world? Okay, yep. During the final two the minutes, half, minutes, we have yeah. two huge defensive stat uh huge two, two defensive stops that seals up the game that gives Nebraska their first win against Iowa since 2014. Once again, guys. I sincerely apologize. That is all messed up. Things are just not where they're supposed to be. I don't know how in the world that happened, but um, we will just uh, take an L on that one as well. Um, So, yeah, great, great first half. Going into the second half, we score essentially the final points that we can. Um, I believe that was yeah, that was Marcus Marcus uh, Washington getting those last points of the game, and then we get two huge defensive stops that seal up the game. Those were the pretty much the highlights. Um, what did you think of what did you think of just some of the huge moments of the game? like what was going through your head when we had some of those explosive moments?
0: Well, first off, right out of the gate, you don't need to apologize for picking Nebraska to lose because we ended up winning. So maybe, as you said earlier, you need to keep doing that as much as it makes you gag when you do. And what I'll do is I'll keep wearing this because that's what I was wearing on Saturday and was or Friday, and it was the very first time I ever won that particular combo of uh, fashion items, if you will, my three dollar hat from Bellevue, Kansas, and my nine dollar shirt from Walmart here in Lincoln. So. Uh, I think that's a good combo. I think I should stick with it. And you should stick with, as hard as it is, maybe that's what did it. I'll wear that, and you pick us to lose. <laughs> <Pain>. <laughs> uh, you're right. Those big moments. Uh, man, and there seemed to be so many of them, and so many of them that went our favor. For example, referees. I mean, there really wasn't a whole lot of difference in the yardage and penalties. But, man, it seemed like every review came out to our favor. Uh, much like the Wisconsin game, it seemed like uh, it was it was um, Iowa shooting themselves right in the foot. And I hate to steal one of your points later, but that's what they did. I mean, they were making the mistakes we usually make in these games. Um, and, you know, just to go to a point that, and this is kind of struck me on Saturday when I was listening to Uh, Or earlier today when I was listening to the entire segment on game day, which I never watch, but because Matt Rule was on there, I watched it. And he made a point of saying that uh, he congratulated Mickey Joseph, said he's done an absolutely outstanding job with the team. And then he did mention Scott Frost. Uh, He said uh, he's had great respect for Frost and that he considers him a friend. And he said the one thing Frost did was he had those guys ready to work and they never gave up in a game in spite of the record. And and he's right, kids never quit on him. I remember watching teams quit in two thousand seven, two thousand seventeen. Uh, so those are absolutely true. And I think rules going to come in and take that never day say die, never quit attitude up a notch. But I said we weren't going to talk about him today. My apologies there. Big big moments in the game for sure. Uh, the big time uh, catch by Palmer, in that huge throw by by Thompson. I was fiddling around with the TV and uh, trying to sync up the audio on my phone so I didn't have to listen to the morons on uh, BTN call the game. And I finally got it synced just as Palmer caught that ball and heard Greg Sharp, caught, uh, he's going to go, you know, and all this. And I'm losing my mind. Your mom's losing her mind. And, and it was just, it was like, oh, cool. We get to, but then we still had to keep syncing it up the rest of the game because every, every, seemed like every hour BTN decided to just, stop playing the game on YouTube TV and we'd have to reset the TV and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah. those were huge moments for me. It was fiddling fiddle farting around with the TV and trying to get it synced up with the radio. Um, missed the second touchdown to Palmer because the TV was out. We heard it obviously on the radio, but we didn't get to see it until I watched the highlights later. Uh, but for me, and this is kind of my last bullet point, I guess this is a good time to ask this question, uh, without Trey Palmer, does this team put up 24 points? Uh, And I asked that just simply in light of the fact that come next year, number three is not going to be on the field. He's declaring for the NFL draft. Um, So that's kind of a big question I have in my mind. Would we score those 24 points without Trey Palmer? I think we would because we had got some really good field position on turnovers and Marcus stepped up in some big moments. Alante had a couple of key catches. Uh, So anyway, To me, this, the biggest thing for me in this game was, it was just the tale of two halves, great first half dynamic on offense and defense, second half struggling to hold the lead, but at least this time they did. So, um, that's really for overview of the game for me, that's really it. It's all I really need to say about it because it was exactly what the game needed to be. Win a close one, prove themselves. They could do it, go into the off season with a new coach coming in going, okay, now we're really ready to work. Um, Anyway, I know you've got some more to say, so go ahead.
1: Yeah, and and you kind of said something that segues right into it where you said we won a close game. And one of the things that really set in was you could definitely feel the momentum shift throughout the second half where it wasn't a close game, 24 to nothing, and then it ended up being a close game, which was just the most Iowa versus Nebraska thing that could possibly happen. Um, but yeah, you you especially consider the fact that when the sky goes dark in Kinnick, wild shit happens. Um, first, Iowa gets a huge 44-yard touchdown run by uh, Caleb Johnson. Then two series later, Iowa goes 90 yards with nine plays in less than three minutes to get a very physical 14-yard touchdown by Luke Lachey. We then fumble the ball the following series in our own territory, and that's when the painful realization really starts to set in that we could honestly lose the game. Um, cause up to that point, I still kind of, I was still kind of just sitting there in the cat on the couch at my in law's house. And I was just sitting there like thinking, like, we, this is too good to be true. Like 24 to nothing, this is too good to be true. And when Caleb Johnson popped off that 44 yarder, I mean, it kind of was just like, um, Is this a thing that's going to continue to happen? And then Luke Lachey, and then you're like, oh boy, now, now I was only 10 points behind. Um, So yeah, luckily, or what is it? We, yeah, we fumble our ball into, into the territory. That's when the painful realization sets in that we could possibly lose this game, but luckily we get a huge stop. And Iowa only walks away with three points. At this point, with a 24-17 to 17 lead, with five and a half minutes left in the game, I'm feeling absolutely sick to my stomach. As not only does Iowa only need one touchdown to tie the game, and likely to go into overtime, but the announcers kept mentioning over and over that this would be the biggest comeback win in Iowa football history, And I just seriously felt in the pit of my stomach that nothing would surprise me more, especially with this season and previous season, considering um, to witness that happen. Um, However, that was not the case. Um, First, we get a huge stop on Iowa's second to last drive. We then serve the Hawkeyes a huge nothing burger, unfortunately, where we go negative one yards for a three-play series only to punt which I was frustrated with that. They were playing freaking safe ball, which in Mickey Joseph's defense, I, I don't necessarily blame him because there was very little time and he was throwing all of his chips in on our defense to make a huge stop. And that was a gamble that was worth making because, yeah, we give them, we give them uh, just over a minute to go 80 yards, which they are the most lackluster offense in the Big Ten. Are they really gonna go do and are they really gonna go do something like that? Probably not. But this is Iowa and Nebraska. For the last seven years, Nebraska has been notorious for snagging defeat out of the Jaws victory. Whereas Iowa always finds a way to scrap a win. But this time we get four huge plays to stop Iowa, where they only complete one two-yard pass and the rest of them fall incomplete, and that seals the victory for nebraska and we finally take home the heroes trophy what so dad what what was going through your mind as the final essentially let's say about 20 25 minutes of the game was starting to starting to unfold what was going through your mind at that time oh your mic is muted
0: My bad. (laughs) I was sitting there going, oh man, here we go again. Uh, In fact, I told your mom, I said, this just would not surprise me if somewhere within the last 45 to 55 seconds, suddenly there was a wheel route completed that Padilla couldn't complete if he wanted to the entire game, kind of like last week. And then they're on the five yard line and they drag us into the end zone. I just wouldn't have been surprised at all. Um, And like I said, the, the, the second half was so completely reversed. It was... 200 and some odd yards of offense or something for Nebraska in the first half under a hundred in the second half. And then the stat for Iowa was completely reversed from that. Not even a hundred in the first half, a good 200, pretty close to 200 in the second half. And it scared me. I mean, it's easy to get scared because we've seen the same movie over and over and over again, but it didn't happen. So I was thinking, you know, we haven't had the ball or they haven't had the ball as much in this game as Wisconsin did uh, the prior game. So the defense wasn't as tired. I thought Bill Bush called some excellent blitzes at exactly the right time. Caleb Tanner was playing out of his mind. Garrett Nelson was making plays like we talked about. Um, I don't remember if we talked about it before we started streaming or after, but you know that punt that was uh, muffed that uh, Garrett Nelson was the guy that got down there first and knocked that guy away from his own muffed punts so that wh- whoever it was, uh, Malga Clements or somebody, got down there to recover it. Um, yeah. It was incredible. I mean, that's just effort, effort, effort from up and down the roster. And you can't – I can say this for sure, that I never saw a lack of effort in any of the games we lost this year. I saw these guys play their guts out. This time it worked. This time, the offense did just enough to keep the de- defense fresh enough that those last 25 minutes, while nerve-wracking, I had a better feeling than I did, well, in a- against Wisconsin. Wisconsin, I just knew they were going to lean on us, lean on us, lean on us. And uh, But with this one, I was like, Yeah, it's Iowa. Their offense isn't quite as good, and it's Padilla or Padilla or whatever they call him, Armadillo, whatever his name is. Um, so... That's kind of what I was thinking, 25 minutes to go in a game. Well, Here we go again, especially those last five, like you said. Scare the living daylights out of you, right? You're just yeah. not sure where this is going to go, especially with the way the offense was basically just trying to play keep away. You know, melt the clock offense is what I called it. Um, and uh, it worked. Thank God it worked. So Anyway, that's that's really all I've got to say. I know you've you've got one more point you wanted to make, which I kind of stole some of the thunder on. I apologize for that, but go ahead.
1: No, you're good. Um, To pretty much finish off the overall impressions, I will kind of repeat some of the things my dad said and just really stress the fact that, I mean, like I said, I think I already said this either before the podcast or during the podcast. I don't remember. Um it overlaps too too quickly for the first time in the Nebraska Iowa rivalry. I felt like we finally weren't the team with a gun pointed at their feet. um Iowa made huge mistakes like n- not prototypical Iowa things they Iowa doesn't beat themselves and they beat themselves um and we made er yeah the uh, it was very exhilarating. Like it was very exhilarating to watch. Like I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just stoked. It felt, it, it felt really good going into Saturday with a W, especially considering how great of a weekend of football we got to witness on Saturday, just crazy football games. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that's pretty much it. I think that my biggest takeaway was honestly the fact that Iowa, wanted to shoot themselves in the foot and Mickey Joseph wasn't scared of Iowa's defense and was completely willing to throw bombs down the field and, and, and kind of mix things up a little bit. Um, there were still some things left to be desired, but it's the last game of the season and it's a W that's a W. So, um, <laughs> what do you say? We, uh, we roll into some of the game stats, key stats, really.
0: Yep, absolutely. Um, the same stats we usually go through every week. These are the ones that really make the biggest difference in the game, and at least in our opinion. And it wasn't uh, a complete domination by Nebraska. Nebraska won five of the statistical categories, while Iowa won three of them. Uh, Nebraska had 17 first downs to Iowa's 18. Nebraska was 5 of 14 on third down, but they were actually more efficient being 6 of 16 by like .05 percentage points more efficient. Nebraska had 329 total yards to 274 for Iowa, which is an interesting number simply because uh, when we take a look at some of the Bill Bush numbers later, it'll be, it won't be it will surprise you that they held them to that number, uh, except for the fact that Iowa's offense has been pretty sucky for the most part this year. Um, 278 passing for Nebraska to 150 to, for Iowa. 51 yards rushing for Nebraska. Yeah. Kind of what's been going on the last few weeks. So, did we expect more? Probably not. 124 yards rushing for Iowa. I felt pretty good about the fact that we held them to that low. Nebraska was six penalties for 40 yards. Iowa, seven for 65. We only had one turnover. They had four, which is completely uncharacteristic of Iowa and a big reason why we won. Yeah, you know, probably the main reason why we run one because really the time of possession was not all that different. We had the ball two and a half minutes longer than they did at 31 minutes, 15 seconds to 2845. Interesting note, quarterback rating. Casey Thompson had a QBR of 95.5, whereas Padilla had a 10.8 QBR. (laughs) You're not going to win a lot of games when your quarterback's only getting a 10.8, but surprisingly, Passing to rushing numbers are very, very balanced. They just didn't have much of them. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, those are the stats. I mean, is there a stat that jumps out to you that kind of as you were doing your overview that you say, yep, that makes sense?
1: Well, not particularly. I just wanted to point out just one of the interesting things I noticed about the time of possession is that both Nebraska and Iowa's longest uh series uh iowa's longest series was six minutes and 42 seconds which led to a fumble and nebraska's longest series was oh i just went right past it where to go six minutes and 16 seconds and it led to a punt and so it was very uncharacteristic of not only iowa but also just if you if you're going on a series that's longer than five and a half six minutes you usually expect to at least get three points out of it. And neither Nebraska nor Iowa were able to figure out how to do that. Um, and But then the rest of them were like, yeah, 46 seconds, 22 seconds, two minutes, one minute, uh, three minutes, one minute, one minute, four minutes, one minute, two minutes, two minutes, less right. than a minute, three minutes, two minutes. I mean, it was so uncharacteristic to a Nebraska-Iowa game, just short, short possessions between the two teams. And yes, of course, yeah. like you said, the most uncharacteristic part of that is definitely the turnovers in the Iowa column. So those were just some some interesting things that I was thinking about when
0: looking at those stats. All righty. Well, how about we uh keep right on a rolling through this game and talk about two of the guys in the game that really made a difference uh, namely our game breaker and our game wrecker of the week. The game breaker on offense, I think we both agree, is wide receiver Trey Palmer. It's like, what, the fourth time he's gotten that award from us this week. Um, Nine catches, 165 yards, averaged 18.33 yards per catch and two touchdowns. He ended up breaking the season, single season record for receiving yardage that was held by Stanley Morgan, Jr., and uh, declared for the NFL draft on on Saturday. So good luck to you, Trey. God bless. Thank you for all that you did for us this year in an effort that was probably something you didn't expect to happen when you came here. Um, I'm sure you expected the yardage. I just didn't think you expected the record. So thanks for all you did. Thanks for staying the course, and we'll be looking forward to watching you in the NFL. So there you go. Trey Palmer is our game breaker. Any comments on that?
1: Yeah, just one of those one of the things that I remember in the preseason, and I wasn't alone on this. I think it was Michael Schaefer, um, from the twenty four seven podcast. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but he like he and many other people, to include myself, thinking about Trey Palmer coming here from LSU, I mean, there wasn't really much you could you could judge on the guy that would have led you to believe that. He was going to do what he what he did, other than the fact that he was just a quick son of a gun. Um, But speed doesn't always translate to being an explosive wide receiver. You kind of have to have elusiveness and you have to be able to break yourself off of blocks. And Trey Palmer found ways to do that and had an absolute breakout season with Nebraska. Um, so yeah, one of the primary things that I think about when I think about Trey Palmer is going into the season, I did not expect him to be as proficient as he was. Um, and my goodness, am I thankful for that? Um, what a surprise, what a wonderful surprise really. Um, but yeah, you know, like tons of people on Twitter are, are going at each other's necks because I think Michael Schaefer was the one that, um, or not Michael Schaefer, Michael Brunt's I think is the other guy. One of the guys from the two, four, seven podcast. I don't remember who it was, but somebody found an old tweet that he said, where it was like, I don't think Trey Palmer is going to really be all that much of an effect to our offense. Um, And then there was a bunch of other tweets that I was seeing retweeted from like April or, or August or July that were just like people saying, I don't think he's going to be good. It's like, do you really honestly think that anybody on planet earth is a true Nostradamus and can predict uh, such a performance from somebody from a stat line standpoint really was, (laughs) it didn't stand out in any remote way. So Mm -hmm. um, congratulations, Trey Palmer, seriously, congratulations. If you find yourself listening to our podcast, because the season's over and you can afford to actually uh, take some, (laughs) uh, take some time to look at, media um seriously bro that that was some crazy stuff that we got to witness from you this season and i wish you the best of luck in the nfl um hope you That's get a fat great. contract and maybe you can get uh maybe you can get uh drafted no you want to get drafted by well maybe he could get drafted by the packers and then he and uh samari Torre can uh light up the world at the packers so
0: mm-hmm.
1: um yeah awesome Good game breaker of the week. And honestly, we could we could just say game breaker of the season, really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. MVP of the season for sure for me would be Trey Palmer. No doubt about it. Um, and you know what? Hey, he could end up at Cincinnati and line up right there with uh, Stanley Morgan, whose record he just broke. That'd so, be sick too. that would be all right. Have him, Bur- have him uh, catching passes from Burrow. That'd yep. be awesome. That'd be awesome. Hey, reunited Homer. with an old teammate too. So, um, <laughs> game wrecker, the guy that tore stuff up on defense on, on, on Friday night for us is uh, linebacker, Ediva Malga Clements, starting in place of the injured Luke Reimer made his presence known, no doubt about it. Six tackles, six of them, all, all six of them were solos. He had a sack at two tackles for loss and a forced fumble. You know what? He led the team in tackles. So there was a lot of guys on that team with five, four, five, and six tackles. So everybody contributed. It was really a lot of fun. The defense had a total of three sacks, uh, six quarterback hurries, and three of them were by O'Shawn Mathis alone. So while his sack numbers haven't been there, he's affected a lot of plays this year. And they had three passes defended uh, overall by the defense, which is passes that are either knocked down or tipped. So um, outstanding effort by the defense, but especially Etiva, Mauga, Clements or Etiva. I don't even remember
1: how he says
0: that, but uh, damn, he was everywhere and he's not afraid to hit. That's why I love. He reminds me a lot of Hausman, and the fact that when he hits somebody they generally go sideways, except for Lachey when he dragged him and Hartzog and <laughs> I think it was Hausman into the end zone with him, so that kind of pissed me off, but uh, hopefully the that rock of a gentleman you showed me in a picture earlier who's coming to be our strength coach which we'll get to next week will uh, make a big difference in that area so um, just just a teaser just teaser dude looks <laughs> looks like you don't want to piss him off that's for sure he's,
1: he's got more weight <laughs> in his veins than I've got from my total body mass.
0: <laughs> yeah no kidding man alive.
1: veins are bigger than my kneecaps
0: yes indeed yes indeed so to kind of wrap up talking about the iowa game i mean i hate to do it because this has been so much fun but i think it's really going to be fun when we get to the next segment segment to talk about just how incredible bill bush has actually been this year um but we'll just first before we get to that let's go ahead and rate the team's performance on offense defense and special teams i'll kick this off real quick and just say uh i gave the offense a seven I would have given it an eight if they had been able to produce a little bit more in the second half. But that first half was so dynamite that, to me, that first half deserved a, a nine. And then I probably gave the second half somewhere between a five and a six. I kind of landed at a seven overall. Defense, I gave an eight if it weren't for the fact that they gave up some some plays in the second half that you know seemed to belie the fact that the strength and conditioning still isn't quite there. I had to d- drop him down to an eight. And then the special teams, just because Bushini had a few numbers for punts. Uh, he had Bleak Road miss a field goal, uh, but he made another one. So overall, I gave it a six. It, damn it, if we just had a return game of any kind, this, you know, it'd be really easy to rate these special teams almost every week at a seven or an eight, just because of Bleak Road and, and uh, Bushini. But we have no return game. So it's hard to give him much more than a six. So overall, for the game, I've got the team rated at a seven, which they won. So, and they won by seven. So that's about the perfect, I don't know. What would you call that? Uh, uh coincidence, something. maybe something like that. Quinky dink. <laughs> yeah. There's uh
1: there's definitely a more precise term for it, but it's, I know
0: same. there is a I It was on the tip of my tongue and I can't, I can't pull my tongue out to look. So, um, go ahead. What are, <laughs> there I go being cheesy again. Uh, <laughs> What, are, what what are your team ratings for this game against Iowa?
1: Yeah, I've also got our offense at a seven. Um, for the same reasons you said, first, you know, thirty five minutes of the game were explosive and awesome. Um, second half was had a, let a left a lot that needed to be desired, but um, yeah, the overall performance of the first thirty five minutes of the game was I'd give it a ten. You know, you can't ask uh an offense to do better against a stout defense like iowa um but yeah then the second half i'd give it like a like a three or a two or something like that nothing nothing really uh worthwhile to look at there so seven on offense and defense i also give it a seven and my reason for it even though the off the defense did what it needed to do especially in the first half um and then Right there at the end of game time, I kind of it's it's a you know perfect tale of two halves. You know they get like a ten for the first you know thirty five minutes of the game essentially, um, but then then they just kind of I don't know if it was just they were playing vanilla on defense or they just started getting worn out or what what in the world happened that Iowa was able to get explosive with seventeen points um, in the span of like. Like 15 minutes, which is not prototypical for Iowa. That's not an Iowa thing, especially this year. Um, so that was a huge letdown. Um, but I won't go to I won't go too far into that. But that in my mind, I think that gives it a seven, which is which is fine. Um, and then my special teams, I gave them a six point five, and the only reason why I gave them that point five was because, like like you said earlier, when you've got Garrett and Nelson. As the first guy that's to the punt returner that, that muffs a, uh, muffs the ball. And we've got guys right there ready to go. And one of them is Garrett Nelson. Like that's just awesome. That's, that's Bill Bush coaching the living crap out of them and, and his assistants that he's got working for him coaching the crap out of them. Um, yeah, missed field goal, few punts that had, you know, less than desirable finishes to them. Um, I think that warrants a 6.5. Um so my overall rating of the team is a 6.8 which boy I would have never thought of that, you know. I I honestly thought our, our offense was going to get shut down. It was going to be a very close scoring game because I think I think my score prediction was like 13 to 7 Iowa or something like that. I don't remember. Um and so getting a 6.8 overall for a game that I didn't think we would even overall score a 5, you know, like That's awesome.
0: I'll take it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd say that pretty much wraps up our review and recap of the Iowa game. And if you just pause with me for a moment, folks, we've got a few watching. Let's just pause for a moment and just reflect on the fact that we now have the Heroes Trophy. And there were two Hawkeye fans in the stands who just thought that somehow holding on to the top of that trophy was just going to keep Garrett Nelson from grabbing it. (laughs) But you live in Iowa, so I guess I understand. I mean, there's really not a whole lot that you guys know uh, except crappy corn. So um, anyway, (laughs) I don't know why I went there, but that's a rabbit trail. Oh, it was so cringy. it, it was it so, was so cringy. cringy watching it. It was at the beginning video of this of, of this stream. So if you missed the very beginning when I played the intro video, you'll see them go run up and get the heroes trophy, and those two fans there see, thinking they're going to hold onto the top of it and keep it away from Garrett Nelson was funny. Uh thank So you. it was real cringy for sure, but it was funny too. So let's move forward. Why don't we? Uh, thank you Huskers for beating Iowa. God bless you guys. Cannot wait until next year when they come to Lincoln and see if they can figure out how to beat Matt Rule. That'll be interesting. I think it'll be a little tougher than it was to beat Scott Frost. Um, But that's just me drinking the Kool-Aid already. Um, Bill Bush, let's take a look. And we're going to split this video up, folks, so that you don't have to watch the whole thing to get to the Bill Bush stuff. I will be taking this video and splitting it up and posting both the Iowa recap and the Bill Bush Uh, information separately. So Bill Bush came in after four games uh, with Eric Schnander coordinating the defense this year after losing the super six seniors of which five of them played in damn near every game last year and really kind of made his defense be pretty good. I'm going to go ahead and start the slideshow, Scott, but I'm going to start with the third slide just to show the, well, Look down there at the bottom. I think it's pretty obvious exactly why uh, Eric Schnander is not coordinating defense here right now. Now, if you take a look at this, these yards are scary over here in the totals column. Uh, The scoring defense is just plain scary. And the national rank, what I did there to come up with that national rank, it was not the national rank after four games, even though those numbers are very similar to what it was after four games. What I did to come up with the national rank is I extrapolated. Basically, the performance of the defense to the end of the season, if Eric Shenander was retained, chances are those numbers would have probably stayed fairly similar within, I would guess, 40 to 50 yards, uh, maybe in each category. I don't know. I don't know how much improvement he would have come up with because those guys couldn't find where to stand to save their life when it came to lining up. Uh, So if he would have stayed around, chances are we'd have been ranked right at the bottom, uh, 124 in scoring defense, 125 in passing defense, 128 rushing defense, and 130th in total defense. Ouch. And we wonder why we decided to let him go in the middle of the year. And some people I've heard on other podcasts say, I just don't see where the benefit is. I see it right here, (laughs) right there under national rank. There's a definite benefit because then when you see Bill Bush's numbers, you understand. So we'll go back a couple slides here and take a look at what Schnander did over his time here, he started out in 2018, ranked in the 90s on rushing and total defense, and ranked in the 70s or 80s in passing and scoring. Um, no real need to go read through these. Everybody can find them on college football. CFBstats.com is where I went. Hat tip to Derek from the Husker Cuzcast for turning us onto that site. It's a little fun to navigate, but it's absolutely worth your time because it gives you really good information. 2019, it was a slight improvement in that uh, their total defense went from 94th to 64th, and the uh, scoring defense went from 88th to 66th. So they gave up three and a half points less per game, basically. Um, So there you go. That's that's slide number one. Any comments on those numbers at all, Scott? Do you recall them being as, well, pretty crappy as they were? Because we were basically bottom of the barrel first year and not too far from the bottom of the barrel in the second.
1: Yeah. I I would say that I'm going to probably still hold true to my observation, which we had talked about with the Oscar Cuscast and multiple collaborations that we've been in um, that I still kind of hold true to the fact that a lot of what made our defensive stats look particularly egregious was just how many bad situations our offense would put them into, um, which you can't really find that. I mean, you can find in the stats if you look really, really hard just on like turnovers and field position, average field position, all that stuff, uh, it it can be found. Um, but reflecting back at it and looking at it just from, from a core, like just a hardcore numbers standpoint, I mean – it was it's it's crazy the eye test of our defense, especially in twenty twenty one and previous to that i mean there were there were some years where our defense looked pretty good um just from the eye test, but stats wise i mean god, i mean it I think in two thousand nineteen you've got that two thousand nineteen stat, the passing defense being thirtieth in the nation, which you can go to the other slides isn't isn't that the best any individual stat category that we managed to achieve defensively. You're muted again.
0: Yeah, that was definitely the best he did in passing defense. And it's really, when we get to the last slide, it's the only category. If I recall correctly, if I took the best from each year in all four categories, that was the only category in which he beat bill Bush, who only coordinated defense for eight games. Ouch. Um, so, Going on to slide number two, 2020, of course, was the eight-game COVID year, and you saw a bit of improvement with the defense as well, where the the total defense was 50th, the scoring defense was 64th, and they were in the mid-40s and and high 60s in rushing and passing. So it wasn't bad, but we still gave up almost 30 points a game. Uh, So we slid back a little bit on scoring defense. 2021 is when things really kind of looked like it was coming together. Excuse me. I ate supper right before we started, and I probably should have let it sit and digest for a while before I decided to talk a lot. <laughs> um, total defense, 47th in the country. Finally got up above that midline, kind of up in that area where you think things could start to turn in the right direction at 366 total yards per game. Rushing defense was 147, which was good, for, good enough for 58th in the country. Uh, passing defense was... 219 a game, a total of uh, and puts them at 54th in the country in 2019 and then 36th in the country in scoring defense at the lowest scoring defense that uh, Shenander ever achieved while he was here, 22.7 points per game. I take a look at those rushing and those passing numbers and the one thing that hits my mind almost immediately is two guys that were on that team that year. Number one, Damian Daniels in the middle, plugging things up, and he did that quite well, especially on running plays. And then you had JoJo Doman, who could just do just about anything they asked him to do in the running or the passing game. How about you? What do you think of the, especially 2021?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, the biggest biggest contributor to the overall shock value of this year is is you can look at all of the stats. You can look at all the stats, the average stats from 2018 leading up to, to 2021. And you can see an actual trend. You see a trend where we are getting, you know, marginally better throughout the years in 2021, which was a super senior season. And that's mostly the argument for why we had such a good year, 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you get you get to now and it's it's and you're gonna go over it. You're gonna go over the four games that uh mm-hmm. that Shenander had that was just or you already did, yeah, you already did. I mean 131, 120, 123, 131, 123. I think I think you updated it a little bit. Um, like you said for yeah. uh for just averages yep. foreseen the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Um but I mean, he would have he would have had to work insanely hard even to be in the you know the top ninety or top one hundred, you know, like he would have had to work really hard to even make that a case. Um so yeah, 2021 is just is so crazy. It's so crazy. And my devil's advocate for that is yes, was it a super senior season? But so was everybody else. Everybody else. Mm-hmm. Everybody else had super seniors on the offense and mm-hmm. on the defense, so that's why whenever i whenever people make that comment it's like yeah but the common denominator is the super seniors across the board and so mm-hmm. like it really is mind boggling that we took such a far step back um but yeah that i mean i I don't mean to like skip a I don't know if you had any other thoughts you wanted to make, but let's really look now at. Bill Bush and see exactly what he did in these last eight games. That is mind blowing.
0: It's really mind blowing. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's a good, good point. Uh, absolutely mind blowing what, what Bill Bush did. But if you really want to put what Bill Bush did into context for me, I, I went back and forth as to whether, and I want, I wanted to do this. If you look at this up here, the the four year average, uh, before 2022, based on the current stats, current national rankings right now on CFBstats.com, uh, if you average out everything that Shenander's defenses did, you're looking at an average of 394 yards per game over four years that his defenses gave, gave up, which would rank 80th in the country if that's what he gave up this year, Okay. 174 yards per game on average over four years, which would be 98th in the country this year if a defense averaged that. Uh, passing defense, 219 was the average, just like 219 was what he gave up at the end of 2021. Uh, 62 in the country is where that would rank, and average given up 27.8 points per game, which averages to 81st in the country uh, if that were what the defense gave up this year. So I don't know. I kind of did this kind of backwards. I probably shouldn't have put to the uh, four games of 2022 there. I probably should have put that on the first slide, but oops. Um, but when you take a look at that compared to Bill Bush, and there's another slide here that shows both numbers side by side and gives you kind of a differential uh, between them. Bill Bush, uh, his defenses, and this is what that, whopper of a game against Purdue and the 400 and some yards that we gave up to uh, Minnesota included a total defense of 365 yards a game ranked 53rd in the country, Uh, 167 yards given up on the ground per game, which is 89th in the country. Not great, but there was a lot of leaky yardage there too. Guys just not getting dudes to the ground. Um, Passing defense, 198 yards per game which is pretty incredible considering they did play Purdue and they threw the ball a lot. Uh Rich is 26th in the country. And then 23.6 uh, yards or points per game which would rank 46th in the country if this. And this again this national ranking numbers that I've got is if Bill Bush coordinated the defense and came and ran a defense similarly in the first four games, I kind of assumed that we'd be right about here for these totals. Um, so pretty impressive, pretty impressive. Um, if you take a look at just the total yardage and the total rushing yards, the total passing yards, total scoring added all together between the four games of Shenander and the eight games of Bush, it's shocking how much better Bush's defenses were. Shenander gave up 2,056 yards, uh, total yards in the four games that he coached. (laughs) <laughs> and one of them was North Dakota for farts sake. And the other one is one and 11. Now the only win being us. So mm-hmm. um, we gave 514 yards or some crap like that to those guys. Uh, Bill Bush's defense only gave up 2,917 total yards in eight games, which was a differential of 861 more yards than just incredible what he was able to accomplish. Um 934. Rushing yards is what Schnander's team gave up in the first four. Bush takes over, simplifies things a bit. 1,335 yards is what we've given up since then. Um, just, wow. I mean, <laughs> or 1,122 passing yards in four games. That's just inexcusable. Absolutely inexcusable for a Big Ten defense to give up especially to Georgia Southern and North Dakota and teams like that. Um, 1582 over eight games for Bill Bush with a 460-yard differential between the two over eight games. It's just incredible numbers. Um, still not the greatest rankings in the world when it comes to rankings among the national, uh, all the teams in the nation, but holy crap, it's still better. You know what I mean? It's just better. Um 142 points was scored on this defense when Shenander was running the show, and only 189 points were scored on Bill Bush's defenses. Granted, Schnander probably would have figured some things out when it came to playing some teams that have been down this year, like Wisconsin. Um, I mean, Minnesota hasn't exactly been a world beater. God knows Iowa hasn't. So who knows? Maybe he would have figured some things out, and it would have been a little bit better, but I think we were way better off having Bill Bush coordinate this thing. What do you think of some of this stuff that I've got there? Is it it, Does it make sense as to why Mickey said, nah, numbers ain't adding up, you're out. In fact, the problem was, I think the numbers were adding up to way too high. (laughs) So he had to let him go. Anyway, go ahead. Your thoughts on that slide there.
1: Yeah. I mean, you look at the rushing yards and the passing yards between four games with Shenander, I mean that's like two hundred yards of rushing a game average, and that's like mm-hmm. uh that's like two hundred and twenty five yards passing per game I mean, yeah, and then you just look at the total scoring total scoring one forty two for uh Shenander for the first four games and one eighty nine for Bush for the last eight games now, like you said, you know you can add the context of we didn't necessarily play world beaters um offensively throughout the season throughout the second half of the season. But I mean, we did play Michigan who just hung a crap ton of points on Ohio state. And we just, you know, we played a Purdue that was really, really explosive on us the whole game. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not like we, we were playing just absolute cupcakes, but my God, what an insane difference. And, and the next slide you've got, you've got a side-by-side Bill Bush versus Shenander. Yep. Yes, exactly. Yep. Okay. So
0: on the very That's left I here, see. for folks who are watching, for, on the left are the numbers for the four-year average of Shenander running the defense, okay? Uh, those are the average numbers. Each year, or uh, the four years added together, averaged amount divided by four, all that good stuff. See, I do know how to math occasionally. Um, best stat is on the very far right is the best stat in any one of the four categories over those four years, which, as you can see, Those of you who aren't watching, sorry, I will try to go through these as detailed as I can. And then in the middle column is the numbers of total defense passing, rushing, and scoring that Bill Bush's defense did in eight games. Same players, same assistant coaches. The only dude that changed was the guy calling the shot. So uh, a four-year average for Shenander was 394 yards of total defense. Bush, over eight games. 365. That's an average of that's 29 yards more per game that Schnander's defense were given up over a four-year average. His best year was three hundred and sixty-six yards per game in 2021. Basically gave up one more yard than what a Bush defense did over eight games. Again, with the caveat that there weren't so there were some not world beater offenses that we played, especially in the last three or four weeks excuse me, passing 219 yards per game is what Shenander's teams averaged over four years. Bill Bush gave up 198 yards per game. And that's with that big time game against Purdue where they went for like 390. I think, um, 201 was, uh, Shenander's best season, which is, uh, only three yards better or worse than Bush's 198. Uh, and that was in 2019. Um, Four year average for rushing, 174 yards per game for Shenander's defenses. Um, Bush, 167. So he was seven yards better than Shenander over the course of just eight games as opposed to four years of running a defense. And then Shenander's best year was again 2021, where they gave up 147 yards per game, which is 20 yards better than what Bush did. 27.8 is what Schnander's defense's average scoring, giving up on in scoring over four years. Uh, Bill Bush, 23.6, so that's about 4.2 point differential there. And then Schnander's best year again was 2021 with 22.7 points per game, which is not even a full point less than what Bush's defense gave up. I think it's absolutely clear, at least in my mind, that uh, Bill Bush should have been coordinating this defense right from the get go. If Frost wanted to have any shot at keeping his job, end of story. You know, or somebody should have been coordinating this defense that wasn't uh, setting it up like a Rubik's cube because it looked like that's the kind of defense Shenander was trying to run was something that required so many checks, so many things, so many ways that guys had to figure out how to line up and so many things to think about. Bush, you know, a lot of people said media, hey, Bush can't simplify it too much. The 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 offensive coordinators in this league are too good. You're going to get burned if you make it too simple, blah, blah, blah. Ask Ohio state. They made it real simple on Saturday and they got burned. Well, Bush never really got quite that simple. And now, and I know I said it after the Michigan game, and I will retract what I said about our defense in the Michigan game. Maybe just maybe, damn it. Bill Bush was that good and Michigan really couldn't do a lot. And they didn't necessarily call off the dogs. Maybe it was just Bush making sure that nobody really broke something big. I mean, what, that 42-yarder by the running back against Iowa was one of the biggest plays we've given up in, what, five, six weeks? Mm -hmm. Um, So hats off to Bill Bush. Thank you, sir, for your time, for your effort, for what you did for these kids to help them be that much better than what they thought they could be four four games in. Because holy cow, talk about a confidence – um, job he had to do on those guys to build their confidence back up. Cause, uh, it's incredible. What he accomplished is just, just incredible. Consider this. And I didn't put this on the slide and I apologize for that. After the Purdue game, where we gave up 391 yards through the air, nobody cracked 200 yards through the air on us. The rest of the year, Illinois didn't Minnesota didn't, um, Michigan, Wisconsin, or Iowa. Nobody passed for more than 179 yards against us the rest of the year. That's incredible. That is really incredible. You know, so that's nuts. Yeah.
1: And I would have never expected anything like this after the OU game.
0: Oh, no kidding. No kidding. I thought, oh Lord, this is gonna be long, hard. And it still was long and hard to watch, but at least the defense wasn't killing us. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I have to admit, I got past Purdue going. Lord almighty, can we just rehire Frost as offensive coordinator interim? (laughs) So at least we can come up with a running game. Maybe. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, ah, that really was good for the soul to look and research all that. Just to say, did I really see what I thought I saw? And while you look at the rankings, they're not stellar. But maybe, just maybe, you give Bill Bush, as good as he recruits, uh, a shot. still coordinating this defense with some different, maybe some different assistants that maybe come up with some different schemes that are a little easier to run but are harder for the offenses to figure out. Maybe, just maybe, we've got ourselves a hell of a defensive coordinator already in the the fold. But uh, again, that comes with the caveat, folks, that I've been working on this podcast all day. I have not kept up with the news on what Matt rule is doing with any of his assistants. I know he's hor- at least according to my wife who updated me from her phone earlier this afternoon, that he has hired his old cornerbacks coach from uh, his days at temple. And I believe at Carolina as well. So I'm not sure what that means for Travis Fisher, but uh, I do know that much. And we do Scott did send me a picture of the new strength coach and whew, would not want to piss that man off. As I said earlier, so I think that pretty much. Do you have anything else to say about Bill Bill Bush and this defense? And and uh, God, I hope he stays. I really hope Rule finds room for him on this step. I think it'd be great for continuity in the team.
1: No, I I agree. I I hope he stays, and I know that. Yeah, Mickey and Bill have got continuity from their time at LSU, so I think it would really be a valuable piece to place in the program to keep him here. Um, I, I don't know if it's, it's very likely at this point. Um, but I'd really hope so. Um, yeah, I mean, lights, like I want to say lights out performance, but phenomenal performance by Bill Bush. Thank you so much for, yeah, turning the complete and total mindset around from these guys and, and digging deep into their, into their psyches and figuring out how to scrounge up, um, some gritty behaviors um cuz they really did they were a scrappy defense you know to give them a cliche term um yeah thank you bill really appreciate it um crazy season what an absolute bonkers season
0: full of we, weird yeah it, you know what absolutely uh we just got an interesting comment pop up here uh from one of our video uh, viewers which we've had more tonight than we've ever had on a show. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, There you go. Matt Verzil, I guess somewhere, maybe in the media, said that Mickey asked to fire Whipple early on, but was denied, which kind of surprises me because he was allowed to fire Shenander. Uh, But anyway, wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me if he wanted to do that. But uh, anyway, (laughs) wow bombshell breaking news <laughs> yeah
1: yeah I haven't seen that I haven't seen that um so We're that is there. that is very interesting, interesting yep. news, Theo, thank yep. you for sharing We're that. Sure. I'll have to dig thank into that. Sure.
0: I'm curious appreciate it. I'll have to see if I can find something out there about it too, and maybe that'd yep. be interesting, interesting um context to throw into our next stream uh next week when we do actually talk about Matt rule um. Yeah.
1: And I haven't I haven't been caught up on social media today either. I'd been
0: yeah, I've been
1: running around doing uh, groceries, meal prepping, and yep. Um, yep. eating food when I can. Um, I slept in way too late today. I slept <laughs> until like eleven. It was
0: a terrible idea. Oh, but it's also because
1: i stayed up till like two thirty in the morning which was also a terrible idea so
0: <laughs> did i was up till like twelve thirty myself i shut the tv off i, I got done with whatever game i was watching i don't remember because i was still prepping for the show i got done i shut the tv off and then i went down the youtube rabbit hole that always seems to capture me when i'm ready to go to bed and it's not even half the time it's not even husker stuff it's like camera stuff or video stuff videography all that kind of crap always seems to grab my attention when i'm ready for bed next thing i know it's 12 30 quarter to one and i'm sneaking upstairs to go to bed so um (laughs) (laughs) i've been there i understand you probably get that from me i am sorry (laughs) i am a night owl yep you definitely got it from me because i still am even at 50, 50 years old um so Let's wrap this bad boy up. Where can folks find you on social media, Scott?
1: Hi folks. You can find me on Twitter at Genred Pod. That's Scott with two T's. The second T is silent. Uh so you can find me there to find all things husker. Um, sometimes a few dad jokes thrown in there. Um, nothing really too crazy. Um I'm just about to get to hundred followers, which would be pretty neat. Um trying to play catch up with my dad who's got like eight hundred or something like that. So um got a little ways to go um yeah you can just follow me there follow me there follow all things husker and um tweet at me if you if you uh have any comments questions or concerns about the show
0: well there you go we got some context for that comment uh verzil was on husker hangover on 11 26 so
1: all right thanks steve i will check that out right after this um, yeah really just a
0: comment back up there to Theo is that a podcast i'll have to look it up and see if that's what that is cuz i certainly wouldn't mind watching that uh, god knows i've had a few hangovers in my life so mostly from husker football games <laughs> <laughs> no not anymore though not anymore that's another life change but that's that's uh that's for another day somewhere down the road we'll talk about that but um anyway you can follow the show on social media by going to genredpod.com, click the links at the top of the page. Make sure you subscribe to this channel so you can see all of our past content and then ring the bell so you don't miss anything in the future. Also, do us a huge favor. Like this video as it helps the stream get out to more Husker fans who are looking for stuff like this. Also, search for Generation Red on your favorite podcast app to listen to our audio show. Make sure to subscribe and then take a few minutes to leave us a rating and a review. We would deeply appreciate it. Ah, Theo says that that was a show on YouTube. So there we go. Guess I'm looking for that, Theo. Hey, thanks, bud. Appreciate it. We appreciate you watching, man. Mm -hmm. Means a lot to us. Absolutely means means the world that you're watching. Um, we will do, as is scrolling along the bottom of the screen there, a very special show about the Huskers new head coach Matt Rule next Sunday at 4 30 p.m. We will be joined by, at least at this point, I know for sure, Andrew wants to from Big Red More, as well as Brian from uh Husker Army Podcast. And I'm going to try to get a couple other podcasts involved as well. Honky, you up for it? Sure hope you are, because I'm going to bug you about it. Um, And uh, it should be fun looking forward to what we might expect from a rule coach squad. We kind of wanted to do one of those today, guys. I reached out to some of the guys out there, and everybody was just kind of like, "Ah, we're kind of busy. And I got to thinking, why not wait until next week? Won't be second like while the iron's hot, like most folks are doing, but we're going to know what the staff is for the most part. And we'll be a day away from uh, early signing day. So it should be a fun time to talk about the future with Matt Rule at the helm. And then two weeks from today, we will do our over-under game results show with Justin, Derek, and Tyler from the Husker CuzCast. Make sure you don't miss that one. It should be an absolute blast. And then we're going to take a break. Until after the first of the year when we will continue our once a month big red roundtable shows with the Husker CuzCast and hopefully some other Husker fan podcasts will jump in and get involved as well. We'll do those once a month until August of 2023 when we start previewing the new season under Coach Rule. That pretty much wraps this thing up. We really appreciate everybody watching and listening. Um, Hey Scott, I'm Ken. And together, we are not just Generation Red, we're family. And we're here to remind ourselves and you every single week that there is absolutely no place like Nebraska. Iowa's corn
1: especially sucks.
0: (laughs) And go big red. Absolutely. Hey, welcome to Husker Nation, head coach Matt Rule. And we will talk about you next week, and we'll see the rest of you right there on that stream next week as well. Go Big Red.